Welcome, everybody, to this, the third in our series of podcasts for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards for 2021. This is the fourth year in which we've done these awards. They were originally called Disruptor Awards. We changed the name to Innovator because we thought COVID was the great disruptor of the decade, so Innovator would be a better word to use. But the two are kind of interchangeable, and we're looking for high-growth, entrepreneur-led businesses that are really changing the marketplace, the industry in which they operate, that have prospects for growth to become national or international successes, to become unicorns in value term. And we're also this year looking particularly for companies that have a particular angle on, interest in, impressive track record in the field of ESG, that's environmental social governance treatment within their business. So there we are. Today we're in Leeds. We've been meeting four entrants from the Yorkshire and Northeast region. We had a record number of entrants overall this year. We had 150 across the country. We had a good number in all of the regions. So any of the companies that have been picked so far to come to our semi-finals and meet our judges are already, in a sense, winners. It's a very eclectic selection always. So in the end, who we pick as the winners has a certain subjectivity to it. So we congratulate everyone who comes to see us as a, as a semi-finalist. That's still quite an achievement in itself. I have with me my two veteran fellow judges for this region, who are Caroline Theobald from the northeast, from up in Newcastle, Gordon Black, a West Yorkshire businessman of some reputation and standing. I'll ask them to introduce themselves in a moment. We're also very pleased to welcome this year as the sponsor of the awards, Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, who have headquarters in London, but a network right across the country of regional offices, and are represented today by Jonathan Baker, their regional director for the North. So I'm going to start with you, Jonathan. Just say a word about yourself, about Charles Stanley's business in, in the North, and, and what, how the business mood is up here. So I think the, the, the business mood, certainly in the last year or so, has, has has been fantastic. I'm a Leeds lad, born and bred. I was uh, brought up in Garforth, not a million miles away from the city centre. So I've seen the city move on. I've seen the changes. I started out in the industry knocking on doors for the Prudential many years ago, probably too many years than I care to admit. And I've seen the changes, the way the city's gone. And, And I think Leeds is doing well. You just look down Wellington Street, there's a lot of buildings going up, there's a lot of big businesses moving in into the city. You've got Channel 4 coming up here, you've got NHS moving outside of London. And I think it's a testament to the fact that certainly, I suppose, looking forward in the world of hybrid working, that we we don't necessarily have to have all of the, the talent in the south. There's a lot of excellent, exciting talent in the north, the northeast and Yorkshire. I think that's testament to what we've been listening to earlier um, with the, the, the four businesses that we've been looking at. Lovely. Thank you very much. Caroline Theobald, remind our listeners what you do and tell us how it is in Newcastle. Hello, everybody. I'm Caroline Theobald. I am the co-founder and chair of FIRST, which is a growing skills development agency. 
I've got quite a lot of hats, but actually the thing I'm absolutely passionate about is letting people be the best they can be. So it was wonderful see some, seeing some really exciting innovations today. And sorry, again, largely men, but you can't, you can't put the gender at source, but, you know, doing really, really innovative things in very different spaces. You know, very difficult, I think, for us to find a winner. Apples and pears, how do you judge between the two? Newcastle and the North East, recruitment and skills. Very, very tricky. Very tricky to get the right people in because the recruitment has dried up, you know, and I think a lot of the, lot of companies, and we're, we're experiencing it ourselves, finding the right people. And that's everything from software coders yeah. to, to hospitality staff, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. As well as truck drivers. As well as truck drivers. I mean, it's sort of, you know, yeah. But yeah, right across the piece. The other thing, and one of our contestants today talked about it, is supply chain. Everything's taking longer. It's obviously becoming more expensive. You know, materials costs have shot up. And, you know, that's a, a break to growth, really. Gordon, tell us a little um, about I, yourself. By your standards, I'm in the autumn of my career. Some would say early winter. I was chairman of Peter Black Holdings for 25 years was a supplier to the major retailers of various products and services. Uh, we took it private in the year 2000 and we exited uh, the different parts of it. And I now, with my brother, run our family office, Black Family Investments, which has a range of interests. Perhaps the one people might have heard of with the, was we backed a shopping channel business, High Street TV, and uh, we had the famous game-changer product, the Nutribullet which was an excellent uh, development for us. As regards the situation in Yorkshire, I'm not in the front line as much before, but my, my glass is half full. I agree that there are great opportunities out there. And if you combine those with the famous Yorkshire resilience, I think uh, our outlook is good compared with certain other parts of the country. In my experience, I've learned at my age that nothing is forever... And secondly, pendulums overswing. It's not the end of the high street. It will be redeveloped. I live in Ilkley, and it's booming. So I think uh, there are opportunities out there, and I think the changes have been overstated. And I think one thing we can observe from our four entrants today is that where they are. So uh, I think we had one from Skipton in North Yorkshire in the Pennines, one from near Scarborough on the coast, one from Redcar, and one from Durham. So we're looking at enterprises, I'd, and I asked them, would you be better placed in a cluster around a university, you know, in Cambridge, around York University or something? And no, you know, they are developing their businesses where they are, and that is spreading high-skilled work, interesting networks of people in technical fields and so on right out into you know small towns of of the north of england so that was one of the positives i took from today so the four companies we've been talking to two are in bioscience medical technologies they're called micropore and test card one is in hydrogen power called element two and the fourth one is in, is in insure tech. That's high technology applied to the insurance business and particularly in, uh, in car insurance. So we're going to each of us talk about one of those briefly and then offer some comments. So I'm going to start with Caroline, if I may, 
with you. You get the most difficult task here, actually, because this is the most complicated scientifically to describe briefly. But tell us about micropore technologies. Di, I hope you're going to forgive me. For anybody listening, I am not a scientist. But what I understand that Di and his colleagues have done at Micropore is actually find a new, very simple, low-cost solution to manufacturing mRNA vaccines. Now, what's interesting about this is prior to this, so prior to the pandemic, Di was actually manufacturing solutions for the pharmaceutical industry, for the, for the pharma, beauty food and what he's done using sort of quite a few years of actually thinking about how membranes work and how you get the the best quality of lipids coming out is he's developed something which it doesn't look like a tea bar it's a sort of long long pipe with another pipe going in and the liquid comes in through the pipe over the over the membrane and then goes out he thinks this is an absolute game changer in terms of what it will do for the manufacture of vaccines, not just COVID-related, but vaccines that, that occur all over the world. And so I hope I've got that right, and I hope that you're now I'm not going to be hung up um, for getting that wrong. Oh, I think that, that was a beautifully concise description of what it does. I think I asked him, Di Hayward, the chief executive, I said, is this a business that has taken off like a rocket because of COVID, because of the pandemic, because of the need to manufacture new vaccines very quickly? And uh, certainly he mentioned Moderna and Pfizer as being in the mRNA vaccines field. But he said, well, yes, it is, but it can produce vaccines for a wide range of medical treatments. And the image that he gave us that you know was easy to picture was that by using his much smaller space-occupying technology that a 40-foot shipping container in the car park of a Nigerian hospital, as the image he gave us, with all the other kit required, could be making COVID or other vaccines. It's, it's, it can be miniaturised to that extent. Gordon, did you have an observation of it? On uh, oh, Micropore. This was a, a passionate presentation and well explained, a bit difficult for a layman like me to follow. And uh, I think he's at an early stage. And to get traction and to get it to almost first, second base is going to take time. And uh, I don't know its competitive position, really. Yeah, and, and you would think that someone would come in and buy it. But what he, uh, that would be the next thing to happen. But what he said was, I think in terms of the, in the medical field, they've made rapid progress in a relatively short time, the most recent period, and they haven't really been spotted. The only thing I would say about that is that when you're in the northeast of England, you can be quite hidden if you want to be able to develop a business that you want to get to the point where it can really really scale so that you can manage growth you know it's the, the, his business isn't as visible one because it's very technical as you say but also i said you know will the will the will the tail finish up wagging the dog of your existing business because it's grown out of his existing business that could be the case but because perhaps Microport is a bit hidden in Redcar. It may take a bit longer than it would do in somewhere else in the country for the big guys to come and, and go snap. Jonathan, brief comment on Microport. I think I'm with 
the, my, the rest of my colleagues around the table were, it did blow my mind on some of the, the technology, but I, I listened to what he had to say and he was incredibly passionate. He clearly knew what he wanted to achieve, but what really made me sit up and listen was the ability to take that technology and put it into a country that really needs the support, really needs access to the vaccines quite quickly and quite economically, and the ability, as he said, to, to put the manufacturing process into a 40-foot shipping container is just phenomenal. You know, if, if that can work and if it works well, I, you know, it's a game-changer, fantastic. Well, let's move on. Jonathan, why don't you talk about Honcho in InsureTech? Okay, so Honcho for me um, was, again, is another very, very clever business, but I also felt, again, for me, it was incredibly simple in its concept that instead of me having to barter with insurance companies and asking them for my business, you know, they're going to start bartering for me. And I like the idea, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm fortunate or unfortunate, that I actually have five cars in the household, which includes mine, my wife and my three sons that I end up paying the bill for. But the fact that once a year I have to go and speak to insurance companies and ask them to give me a quote, and can I insure my car or cars with you, the fact that I can now put my details into a, an app and then Honshaw will then take my information put it out to 30, 40 different insurance companies so effectively they can come and ask me for my business, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's great. It was, it was very well described. Gavin Sewell was our guest talking about it. He's a guy who'd previously worked even in financial service in various things, including a high-frequency trading hedge fund, which caught, caught my ear. This sounds like a much more useful thing to be doing, uh, improving people's car insurance um, pricing and choice and a clever piece of technology it's a reverse auction process so the the customer's precise needs are put out to a field of insurers or brokers and answers come back within 10 seconds and they run three iterations in 30 seconds to get to the best priced best combination offer so that sounded like a very useful thing to me it stands alongside price comparison sites, which are more familiar and spend a lot more money on marketing. Gordon, this is more in your sort of consumer field. What did you think? Yeah, mainstream business. He was very bright, and it's certainly very topical. And I think his fundamental message is that price is only one component of value, really does resonate. And I think the layman is suspicious about all the media coverage of cheaper and cheaper insurers. And I think, therefore, they have really got an interesting area to operate in. Uh, The website is good. The business has an international dimension. It's a recession-resistant business. And I think that it's if he can get the name out there and get this fundamental message across, I think it's got excellent potential. And in some client cases, it may not be a matter of getting his name or Honcho's name out there because it's embedded in large car dealerships offer as well. Caroline, did you like it? Yes, and that that embedding in large car dealerships is the thing that's really making it stack up for me because insurance is such a conservative industry that, you know, when you have somebody who's doing something completely different, i.e. turning the conventional way of doing things upside down, there's always going to be a bit of resistance. 
Interesting, he got some of his money through crowdfunding, so he's got people investing in the business, which hopefully begin to you know, give him a sort of B2C customer base. But that embedding into car dealerships, I think, is crucial. It sort of reminded me when Sir Peter Vardy didn't sell people cars, he sold them money. And this seems to be doing something quite similar. Good. Okay, well, let's move on to another one. Test card, Gordon. Yeah, this was a, an impressive presentation, much to admire, succinct, mainstream business, and just couldn't be more topical because we're all aware of the terrific pressure the health service is under. And this test card is designed to improve access to health care. I think that he's uh, getting traction. They've got 42 staff. They've raised money fairly easily, which is a, a big tick as far as I'm concerned. The business has an international dimension, and I think it's very much a business in the right place, the right time. And if it can deliver, it will be of great benefit to society. So let's just describe it a little bit more. So the uh, examples he gave us were pregnancy testing, urinary tract infection and diabetes testing. It's a postcard format, that is to say it's a thing the size of a postcard, a little pack that would come in the post. There's an app that goes with it. The app records the test result but compiles data to go into the NHS system. And it's a way of getting people to do tests themselves at home in a user-friendly way that relieves a bit of pressure on the GP surgery network and aims to improve healthcare outcomes generally by kind of just making it easier to find the first diagnosis. And then you go to the doctor for the treatment if you need to, but you can, in many cases buy or obtain the treatment on prescription directly without, as I understand it, without actually needing to have seen a doctor yes. on, that, on that path. Can I just say that I yes, looked at the test card and um, often these are too complicated for older people like me and this one was easy to navigate. That was a big plus to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me the, the, the big plus was the fact that you can do it at home in the privacy of your own home. Certainly when you're talking about UTIs and people, ladies particularly, would get nervous, maybe embarrassed about having to take time off from work to go to the doctors and the fact that you can order this kit and do it in the privacy of your own home. But I think for, I think he was talking about diabetes tests and maybe a liver function test going forward. Again, it's the next stage. The, the ability to be able to test early, I think, a lot of people often don't like to go to the doctors because they feel as though they're wasting the doctor's time and then they're not sure about what tests they need to be done. Whereas if this system and this process can test early, it will give people comfort and peace of mind that there is something they need to be concerned about and they can speak to the GP or the consultants once they've had the test results back. So yeah, again, another good, excellent idea. I like this so much, I actually bought one from the website. Um, <laughs> And I like the support package for here in the UK, you know, that goes alongside the test. You know, so customer confidence, big tick. Are the clinicians there? Clinician confidence? Because, of course, it's all very well diagnosing something, but actually can you then treat it? Now, that then 
it takes on a whole new dimension for me if you're going into the third world. Basically, you've got something which has uses app technology. Well, where anywhere where there's digital poverty, you know, will it work? Will they be able to get enough ground cover? He, was, he talked about data mapping and using the app in third world countries, but you know, is the technology good enough um, in order to be able to scan in QR? codes and all of that so that was it was that piece I think here in this market or where there's a, um, a sophisticated audience absolutely get it but it, it was very big on taking it internationally and it said the product really did look user-friendly in design uh, we've all got used to taking these lateral flow fiddly lateral flow tests all the time at the moment this I mean this it just did look like a simpler thing I was very taken by his first remark which was that this business came out of a conversation with a a medical colleague of his about how men are very bad at their own health care so you referred Jonathan to, to women patients would find this a useful thing I wonder I'd be really interested to know whether it ups the, you know, incidence, the percentage of men actually bothering to test yeah. themselves for things they wouldn't like to know that they've got, if you I see what I mean. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a fair challenge. My wife is constantly saying to me, if you think there's something wrong, ring the doctor. And, of course, there's a thousand and one other reasons that come up that stops me from ringing the doctor, whereas this is, is literally open an envelope, do the test, scan it, and you get your results, and, the, and it's there. So you can get your results quite quickly. I think in answer to the question about the technology away from the UK, taking the technology into other countries, I think the interesting side for me is that a lot of people now have mobile phones. We do a lot on our mobile devices and we've got a lot of technology on our mobile devices. And I think, again, the technology is there and it's a simple, easy way to take it forward and, and get the test done sooner rather than later. Great. So there we are. So that one we can see is A, user-friendly, B, taking a little bit of pressure off the NHS. And we've seen many entrants this year looking at different ways of taking pressure off the NHS. This is one of them, a very interesting one. So our fourth um, entrant with us today is called Element 2, represented by Tim Harper, a serial entrepreneur with a scientific background and his business is a developer of hydrogen refueling stations and retailing hydrogen particularly aimed at the heavy goods truck market and public transport fleets bus fleets would be the probably the best way to envisage this i'm very interested in the whole pivoting of the automotive industry that we see going on now from carbon fuel to alternative and cleaner fuels we see in the electric vehicle market the obstacle is the the plug-in networks in the hydrogen fuel sector the technology is still in development there are not yet hydrogen fueled cars on the road though there are uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to develop that so this by its nature, by the nature of the technology it's in. It's, it's a relatively early stage business, but it wants to develop networks of refueling stations. Uh, I think we were told that it will get to 30 refueling stations this year and that it has ambitions for something like 
800 in the next couple of years. It's uh, one of its advantages is relatively low cost, smaller and more mobile unit for hydrogen refueling, which might cost £400,000, whereas a competitor who's building a more substantial, solid and fixed piece of kit for this might be spending £4 million to do that. I think I hope I've got those numbers right. Anyway, it's an important piece of technology. It will be. I'm quite certain it is the one of the technologies of the future of transport, but it, it, it's an early stage uh, venture. And so th- that was the impression we gave, but it was, it was a terrific um, presentation of the concept. Gordon, what did you think? Yeah, I think it, um, it's certainly a mainstream business. I think there's, uh, he was very passionate and his progress, he says they're making, is impressive. There's a low barrier to entry. There could be a lot of competitors there. Hydrogen's still relatively compared with batteries, as you said, at an early stage. And my concern would be that it, uh, to get scale, it's going to be some time, and the cash burn in that interim period would be concerning. I'm interested in hydrogen. I'm interested in hybrid from the transport and the, and the infrastructure. And I think he acknowledges the fact that this is early. He acknowledges that he's getting in early. And I think that's a benefit because... He knows there's a long way to go. But I think one of the issues that hybrid and electric vehicles has had is the fact that they just haven't had the infrastructure ready for the amount of vehicles on the road. So if he recognises that at this stage and says, we know that hydrogen is coming for heavy goods because I read something recently that you couldn't have a battery big enough to be able to power a truck. So we know hydrogen is there and it's... it's, it's that's the sensible course for heavy goods vehicles, for ships and so on. But if he gets the in- infrastructure in from day one, you know, haulage firms will appreciate it a lot more than general Joe public that you can't go to a local shop and plug your car in. And I think he, see, he, he knows that and he accepts it and he understands that. And I think so we may be at early stages, but he knows that. I was really interested in element two, again, from a point of no knowledge, but knowing that the market's going to come. And I think that was almost what they thought in 2020 when they set the business up. Now, it's it's about, can the inf- is the infrastructure going to be there in order to get the hydrogen into, the and in his case, or their case, very much green hydrogen into trucks and heavy vehicles. And that's where they've positioned the business. He was very open about the challenges, supply chain challenges. Can the infrastructure be built in time? But I think that they've been brave too because they're not waiting for the government. They're, they're stepping ahead and just getting on with it, which is pretty brave. And you know, It takes quite somebody or quite a team to do that. Yeah. And that, that's a very useful phrase to throw in, not waiting for the government. So we've seen a couple of um, entrants in the electric vehicle plug-in sector and the one thing they're not doing is waiting for the government the one thing that's holding back that whole transition is the government not putting up money not wanting to pay for plug-in networks and not being really on the front foot so the entrepreneurs are having to push it forward and one interesting little thing uh, that tim said was that what what are the current constraints to fast development of the business one is 
component supply, which in every industry is having hiccups right now. The other thing he mentioned was planning permissions. You'd think the government would be saying, oh boy, this is something we really want to happen. We'll shift the planning system to get the plug-ins, to get the hydrogen fuel stations into place. But everywhere you go, there's a planning officer trying to stop you doing what you want to do. Anyway, there we are. So that, we thought, was a really important business for the future, right in the early stage of development. It is talking to big clients. Stagecoach was one he mentioned, I think. So it, it is at the point of commercialization, but it's got a long path ahead. Anyway, there we are. Those are our four Yorkshire and Northeastern finalists for, for 2021. Thank you very much indeed to Caroline and Gordon and Jonathan for listening to the presentations and commenting in such an interesting way on them. We're moving on next to meet our finalists in the Western Southwest region. I think we're going to Exeter next week, and then we're going to Scotland and Northern Ireland. And the judging process will take place in October. Uh, and everything you need to know about all of these companies can be found through the Spectators Innovator page of our website. So thank you everyone for listening to us and we'll be with you again very soon. Thank you.